Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. The Theology in the Raw conference is coming up March 31st to April 2nd. We're talking about race. We're talking about politics. We're talking about hell. We're talking about sexuality, gender, and other um, engaging, controversial topics. There's a range of speakers giving different viewpoints and lots of Q&A, lots of conversations along with talks and incredible worship and fellowship, and the list goes on. If you have not registered yet, Go to PressAndSprinkle.com or TheologyInTheRaw.com. We are rolling out a new website. I'm not 100% sure when that website will go live. Either way, if you go to my website, click on the conference page. Uh, it will take you to wherever <laughs> wherever it wants to take you to to register. I imagine that we will be filled, filled up, sold out by early March. We're on pace to fill up by then. So um, uh, if you want to attend live in person, do that. Register ASAP. Or you can attend virtually. If you attend virtually... You and you can't make the like time zone, or you fall ill, or just don't want to watch it that night, or whatever. If you can't make the, the timing, um, you do get access to the full video conference, I think, for at least seven days. So I, I get this question all the time if I sign up virtually, do I have to watch it live, or can I, you know, wait, you know, half a day, or a day, or a couple of days? Yes, register virtually. You can get access to it after. My guest today is Dr. Brandon Smith. He's been a friend for uh, many years, teaches at my old alma mater at Cedarville University. He has a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, an MA in biblical and theological studies, and a PhD in theology and New Testament from Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia, under my good friend Mike Bird. Uh, And he worked on the translation team for the Christian Standard Bible, my favorite translation. And I'm very excited to talk to him about that translation, but also just translation theory if you're looking if you have questions about what translation should I use, um, why are they different, how are they different, which one's better for this kind of reading or that kind of reading, if you want to get inside the background of how translators even go about their business, then this is the podcast for you. So please welcome back to the show, the one and only Dr. Brandon Smith. All right. Hey, friends, I'm here with my friend, Brandon Smith. Brandon, uh, thanks for tuning in from Cedarville, Ohio, my old stomping grounds. Yeah, I mean, fro- I'm just I'm, I'm trying to live. I'm trying to live in the I'm trying to live in the light that you have left here. You know, I'm just trying <laughs> to keep your legacy going. So my claim to fame is I think I told you this last time we talked that uh, that painting that's next to the coffee shop, if it's still there, better still be there. And it it has a little bike in the corner of the painting. And mm-hmm. if you notice the the license plate on the bike, it says Sprinkle on it. <laughs> oh, I've never known. I'll have to go look at it. Because, I, don't, I don't think you told me that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, this is back in the day. Gosh, when I was, I was there, 07 to 09, right? Yeah. So that was back in the day with email. I was just getting used to it. Well, I mean, email had been around for 10 years. But um, they, they showed me how you can, like, email the entire school body, <laughs> which somebody said, like, don't ever do this. But. Yeah, you can email all you know, thirty five hundred students, all staff, faculty, janitors, and everything. Yeah. So some genius, you know, I'm, I'm so I'm riding my bike to school, like that's my transportation, and um, and you don't lock it up. It's Cedarville. There's no like, you know, the worst. I don't know what the worst crime would be. Like you pass a homeless guy on the street and forget to you know give him food or something. But yeah, um, the the frozen lake right now has a bicycle on it. That's the that's the um <laughs> there that's we go. the greatest crime anybody's yeah. committed this week. So call the call the squad. <laughs> so anyway, so I you know I ride my bike from class from ride my I ride my bike from class, the cafeteria, whatever, and 
And uh, sure enough, I'm kind of like ready. I need to get to class like in two minutes because that's how much I takes on my bike. And I go out, my bike's gone. So, some some student took my bike. I'm like, what the heck, dude? Like, I think come to find out, I don't know if it's like that now, but now it, but then somebody told me well, later, this is after the fact that. Well, that's just kind of that's just what we everybody does. Like everybody just grabs a bike and goes. Like, well, don't grab my bike, dude. So, yeah. so I sent a whole email to the entire school saying, "I think that's kind of little- do not ride my bike." Yeah, it was it was in, it was still Christian. Oh, it was a Christian email, but it, it was bordering it, you know. So I was really upset. I mean, it's anyway, kind of, it's kind of like it's kind of like your whole life, really. You know, you know, it's like Christian but borderline. You know, it's just kind of how it goes. So. And that's how theology and raw started. Um, anyway, I, I ended up somebody felt bad and like, oh gosh, so sorry. I think I I saw it over by whatever this building so anyway so so that painting somebody painted that that painting uh, because a coffee shop was being redone and they put mm-hmm. it up there and somebody i think no no one told me but somebody pointed out that in that painting there's a little bike off in the corner it says sprinkle <laughs> <laughs> this is sprinkles bike yes stay That's away awesome. from it all right so i want to talk about <laughs> translations um and i get i get this question i've i've gotten questions about translations my entire kind of ministry slash teaching life it's something that always comes up there's always translations coming out and 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 you uh were directly i mean you were heavily involved in the production of the csb which is i think the best translation that's currently out there so um but before we do that tell us just a little bit of background of who you are your education and then how you got into working with the csb yeah i uh i mean i um Grew up in a non-Christian home, became a Christian a little bit later, uh, kind of very quickly in my early 20s, felt called to ministry. And so, you know, I went the path everybody does, which is you start going to school, figure out what you're going to do. Um, and, you know, in the middle of that, I got a bachelor's degree in Bible and a master's, you know, and a PhD. And in that I was, you know, working as a communications director at the school I was working at, um, you know, trying to adjunct a little bit, whatever. Uh, and so I was running communications at Criswell College where I was doing my master's. And just got a random call one day from uh, from the people at Lifeway and said, hey, we want sort of a theologically minded, pastorally minded type person to help run our marketing because they just had, they had a bunch of really good marketers, but nobody who had that background. So, yeah, they invited me out and, and did the interviews and stuff. And um, so I basically got in there because I, you know, was theologically trained, had been a pastor and knew how to use the Internet, you know, pretty much. So <laughs> uh, so we started running the marketing there and then that developed into uh, a managing editor position where I was really kind of overseeing our editing and our marketing and was involved in some of the revision stuff. So I got to do a little bit of everything. It was fun. Cool. Awesome. And then yeah. uh, you, you did your PhD under Mike Bird, right? At uh, mm-hmm. at Ridley? At or, Ridley. Yeah. Ridley. Yeah. Yeah. How was yeah. that? You can rip on him too. Uh, this is, he'll. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine <laughs> he doesn't hold power over me anymore, you know? So um, <laughs> no, no, he is uh, Michael Bird. What you see on online and in his books is literally who he is. He mm-hmm. loves the Lord. He's super smart. Uh, and he's sarcastic and makes fun of you all the time. So yeah. uh, I did a, I did a YouTube uh, interview with him recently on his YouTube account. Where we were just talking about doing a PhD, and uh, I just kept sharing stories about the the mean things he said to me and the snarky things he said. You know, <laughs> telling me to save that for Baptist R Us and random things. You know, he'd say those kind of things to me, or you know, this might have worked in your master's, but this isn't good enough for a PhD. You know, all that fun yeah. stuff. But he also was extremely encouraging. So so it was fun. He's but, one yeah. of the fairest. Is that the right word? Or just interpreter scripture? Like I, I, you know, there's just people that I just feel like you, you, I feel like you're doing your best to be truly honest with the text and yeah. it's not, I mean, all of us have baggage, all of us have biases and whatever. But when I, he, whenever I read anything by him or hear him talk, I just feel like, man, he's, he's made a concerted effort to get his arms around the issues mm-hmm. and has gone with 
the reading that he has has shown to be the better one according to his, you know his research and everything yeah. and he's just really honest like when he said he's one of those guys he, when he says something about a text i'm like i just he's, he's trustworthy not that he's always right but i mean just really trustworthy yeah. you know um well he, he doesn't allow himself to be bullied around by certain factions um right. so he makes people mad on you know every every side of it which yeah um, you know he, he can be a little provocative at times by admission but part of it is that he's trying to say like hey you should be aware of your presuppositions and things yeah. like that. And let's just look at this issue. So even as a, you know, as a doctoral student, he was always hammering me for that. Like, yeah, you need to put yourself in the place of your worst critic. You know, you need to put yourself in the place of this person and make sure that you're being fair. So I, I mean, I always experienced that as a student too. So That's I'm super great. grateful for him. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the translation and, um, maybe, yeah, just talk to us about, uh, what goes on behind the scenes of a translation. I guess you can tell just a story of the CSB. I know it's a revision, mm-hmm. um, of the HCSB, which that, that technically it was, I love, love the HCSB, but it's got like, this has taken that over and has, yeah. has made some improvements. And I do want to be clear too. Um, I didn't, or you didn't ask me to come on, uh, the CSB, whatever, like coming, didn't ask me you to come on. So this is, no one's getting paid for this. I have to say that because I do, the CSB does have sponsors. uh, They do pay for sponsors on the podcast. This conversation is not part of that at all. This is a, I I like this translation. I want to know about translation theory. You're the best guy I know to go to. So um, just to make that. You missed missed me and just want to talk to me. (laughs) And I miss you, man. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, so tell yeah. us, tell us, uh, maybe, maybe start with the HCSB and where that came about mm-hmm. and why uh, you guys felt like that needed to be revised and lead, you know, into the CSB. Yeah, I mean, so every translation is different. You know, um, the thing about the ESV was a revision of RSV. Um, you've got obviously the KJV, the NKJV. Then you got translations like the NIV that's basically translated from Greek and Hebrew. There's no pre existing text, you know, so there's all these different, you know, ways that they come about. Um, HCSB was originally just from the Greek and Hebrew, uh, in the nineties, basically, uh, Lifeway put together a group of scholars. I ended up being a hundred scholars from 17 denominations. So there's often this sort of this, you know, it was a Southern Baptist Bible, but it was actually Mm -hmm. intentionally not supposed to be the Southern Baptist Bible. Now, whether it turned into that, you know, different conversation, but that was not the goal there. It was always an inter interdenominational thing. And so in the nineties, I mean, part of the reason why the HCSB came about is you really just had the KJV, NIV, in terms of what people were using, KJV, NIV, um, New American Standard, and those were kind of all that was that existed at the time. Mm-hmm. And so part of it for the HCSB was, you know, um, you've got the NIV, which at the time was considered, okay, more dynamic, you know, uh, NASB is, is like a block of wood, you know, it's yeah. very, very literal and very, um, and then, so there really wasn't a middle space that was, that was existing at the time. And you had churches complaining about these two poles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's interesting now because now you have NLT and others that are more dynamic than NIV, but at the time that was part of the conversation. So can you explain dynamic really quick? Yeah. 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 Literal. Dynamic yeah, so or... formal and dynamic are kind of the two things we say, which is formal is, um, trying to be as quote unquote word for word as you can be literal to the Greek. Um, literal is not a great translation or not a great way to say it because everything's a translation. Only the Greek and Hebrew are literal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then dynamic is like, okay, we can make it more colloquial. We can make it more quote unquote word for word, uh, or more easy to understand for modern readers. Okay. So yeah. all translations are, are trying to, to live in that balance at some level, but some obviously will intentionally lean in one direction. So a very formal translation is just going to say, you know, it may not be the easiest to read, but it's closer to the Greek 
wording, the Greek yeah. uh, word, word order, whatever. Uh, and so we're just going to leave it there. Uh, you know, more dynamic would say, well, well, there's some options we have to, right. to, you know, make this translation more understandable for a modern audience. So HCSB kind of came in trying to live in between those two worlds, you know? Um, and, and so it was, it was an idea of how do we serve the church with a need that it feels like is, is there. So yeah. that's how the HCSB came about. Okay. Um, yeah. So then you want you want some, some CSB from there. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I got turned on to the HCSB by Scott... Not McKnight. Gosh, I'm blanking on his last name. New Testament scholar. Why can't I think of his name? Scott, Scott, Scott. He taught at uh, Gordon Conwell, Wheaton, um, I think St. Andrews for a number. Yeah, Scott. Anyway, brilliant New Testament. This guy's a You're going to say it, not, and we'll both be like, yeah, yeah we're both going to be like, yeah. That, but, and, this yeah. guy, I remember he was he was writing a commentary on First Peter, and he spent all summer on like one verse. He's that kind of scholar. Mm. Like yeah. I bumped into a little roadblock here. What does this mean? And he's like, I'm going to like, I will just keep studying until I figure out what it means. You know? Um, yeah. He's a bulldog, but, but he's do, the one that Scott said, I did do a first Peter. So I don't know. But, oh, might've been second. But he, <laughs> Scott Hafeman, Scott Hafeman wrote, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, a okay. second Corinthians, course, yeah. his PhD on second Corinthians, kind of a second Corinthians guy. And he was doing something anyway on Peter, but, um, he's the first, I never even heard of the HCSB. And I remember we were at a, like a little pastor's gathering and he was raving about it. So this is hands down the best translation. I'm like, what? And he, gave, he was giving these examples. And he even said something. And can you verify this? And I, I don't know. I don't want to misquote him. But he said there was something really different with the, the kind of freedom that the translators had in translating the text. In fact, he's the one that said it's the only translation that actually gets John 3.16 right. Mm. Um, the best word for to translate hutos in the Greek is not so. Maybe in the KJV that might, that era it might have made sense, but it means in this way. God loved the world in mm. this way. Boom. Yeah. He gave His only Son as you know, not God so incredibly loved the world. You know, that's true too, but that's just not what the Greek said. And he yeah. said, "There's just," and I'm like, "How come other trans like every Greek scholar knows what hutos means?" It's like, well, there's. There's some politics behind that. You get a sacred translation um, of a verse, and some Bibles are like, "Yeah, we're going to leave that the way it is. Like, we're not going to mess with John three yeah. sixteen or other verses." And, and I'm like, "Really? Is there is there politics behind this? Not politics, but I mean, is it? Yeah. He's like, "Oh yeah." And and um, sorry, I'm rambling too much. But um, Tremper Longman said the same thing about Song of Songs. I mean that that though if he if he had it his way. <laughs> that, that translation and he was part of the NLT and there are some things he's yeah. like I think this is really what the Hebrew's saying here and they're like oh, we can't put that in man this is, we're writing to Christians here you know like because <laughs> he's got a very erotic reading of the book yeah. which yeah. I think is probably correct but anyway so um is is, is was is that does that resonate is, is there something behind the HCSB that did give a lot more um I guess just honesty and, and freedom to the translators or yeah, I mean, I think everybody, like you said, everybody's got presuppositions they're bringing into sure. it. But I think with the HCSB, there was certainly a sort of, hey, we have a huge bunch of scholars together. We're doing something fresh. We have no text to depend on. There's no, we're not revising anything. And so there was a sense of, like, just do what you think is best. So I think that's true. I think even with the CSB, we had some of that as well, where it was like, okay, we're, we're, we're coming off the HCSB. But we made a lot of changes in the, the CSB to HCSB that were noticeable. Um and, you know, there was a sort of a freedom to say, hey, like we can we can do that if we want to. Yeah. Now, obviously, there were times where we'd have conversations in the room and say, hey, we, we might want to change this or that. 
and, you know, the vote's too close. We're like, okay, we're just not going to mess with that or whatever, you know, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure politics always play a part, but it depends on, uh, who's in charge and and what the parameters are, you know, and we all have different ones, but I, I felt like with HCSB and with CSB, we had a pretty, pretty good amount of freedom to do what we wanted. So, so the CSB is not a free, you didn't have another separate team of scholars. You had people who were revising some of the translation that had already been done. So it really is. So we we had a, we had a, yeah, we had a new, we call it a translation oversight committee. And so it was 10, 10 scholars basically who were new, who had not worked on the HCSB at all, who kind of gave it fresh eyes and said, okay, let's see what the HCSB needs. Uh, Cause it had basically not been updated for a really long time, which in the translation world, people get frustrated by updates, but there is a sense in which scholarship advances, language changes. So it was kind of, it was, there was some need there. Uh, We were hearing from churches and stuff too, about, you know, here are some things that, you know, pastor feedback, scholar feedback, and eventually they just said, Hey, let's get some people in a room and see what, what needs to be done. So, by the way, I I keep looking at my face in the screen. Is it, does it look so, I got new lights and everything. This is the lowest setting, but I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on my like fourth glass of whiskey at (laughs) 9am. Do do I look too red or is this fine? Is it distracting? Like I'm colorblind, so you you just look. I you mean, are. I can't, I can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, no, feel you look, like I didn't notice anything, but yeah. Like you look man. great. You okay. look great, man. Like you got your flat bill on. You got your hoodie. You're just crushing it. <laughs> I did. I was telling you offline. I mean, I, I first I I got a decaf coffee last night, thinking it was. I mean, it was out of the decaf carafe or whatever, and I'm pretty sure it's caffeinated because I didn't sleep from midnight <laughs> till six a.m. Had to cancel an eight o'clock meeting. I just said, dude, I, I'm gonna I need to get an hour to sleep. So I, yeah. Anyway. Not your yep. problem. Um, You're can, doing great. You're doing great. Can Can you tell us uh, some unique translation features of the HCSB, and then we'll then we'll move specifically on the CSB because um, that's what draw. Yeah. The more I looked at the HCSB, I'm like, there's so many things here that other translate other translations are not doing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple a couple of ones that we were known for that we went away from and got us in the most trouble. Uh, I think with you as well. We had some. You and I have had conversations over yeah. the years. Um, you know, we, we uh, for example, the HCSB uh, had Yahweh in the Old Testament. Same time Yahweh came up, instead of saying Lord, capital L-O-R-D or something, yeah. it was always Yahweh as much as possible. Um, so that was a really unique thing. That was something that we were really, you know, it was really well known for. Um, you know, saying slave instead of servant uh, in the New uh-huh. Testament was a big one. Um, saying Messiah instead of Christ uh, uh-huh. more consistently in the New Testament. Uh, capitalizing pronouns, he, him, his, for okay. God. Uh, we went away from all of those, but those were all like the, <laughs> I mean, those were the hallmarks in some ways. Well, so. Yeah. So why, I, I actually forget, why did you go away from some of those? Because those were some, those were some of the kind of BA features of HPSB where people are like, why have we always done it this way? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the heart, so the, the capitalizing pronouns, for example, is difficult because um, one, you're introducing capitalization that Greek is not using. Okay. Uh, you run into issues in translation, like you think about uh, the baptism scene in Mark, uh, you know, there's a part where it says like, uh, he looked up or he saw this and it's like, okay, okay is that actually Mark or Jesus oh. and, uh, or John the Baptist, uh, sorry, John the Baptist or Jesus. Uh, well, you're, in, you're introducing an interpretation there if you capitalize that he or not. Right. So it's like things like that, where you're just kind of introducing an extra wrinkle that may not be necessary. Um, so that, that was like a, a thing with pronouns. Um, Yahweh, uh, sometimes it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to be consistent when you're using Yahweh in the way that HCSB was doing it. So it was like, do we try to do it more or do we remove, remove the inconsistencies? Because it um, wasn't so, always, or is that, I know Christ wasn't always, or, or Messiah. Sometimes it was right. Christ. Yep. Um, and I was, I, sometimes and, I'm like, why Christ here and not Messiah? Yeah. Is that what you guys ran into? It's hard to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with CSB, we kept Messiah in some places, like tried to do it where it was very obvious that they were speaking to a Jewish audience who would okay. have received it as Messiah. So even then, I mean, we wrestled even with the CSB of, are we being consistent? Should we just wipe it out? But it, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the treachery of translation is trying to figure out how to be consistent and you know, that kind of stuff. But with Yahweh, it was just, um, it was way too hard to be consistent in a way that sometimes could be distracting. Um, capitalizing pronouns is the same way. Slave, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why uh, you, you do and don't use that language. Um, some of it is, you know, think about like in Matthew, so Matthew 20, uh, there's two different words there for servant and slave. Okay. Uh, and if you say slave, slave, you're actually two Greek words and you're saying slave in both, but then you might say for doulos, slave here, but servant over there. It was that kind of stuff where it was like, we're just not being consistent. Um, and so, it was, and, and then there was the sort of like, um, the novelty of it was in and of itself could be a problem, right? Where it's like, well, this is really cool. You guys are doing this, but if we're not doing it well or consistently, then the novelty wears off, you know, then it's just not a very good translation. So and those that was some of stuff we thought through. Those changes, have you received more negative feedback? Like, ah, we miss seeing Messiah and Yahweh more or? Uh, Yahweh was by far the biggest. Yahweh was the biggest uh, in terms of negative sort of feedback and then capitalizing pronouns. We got killed for that. Uh, but honestly, like no translation does that besides the NKJV at this point. So we didn't feel, yeah. and, and we all, I mean, all the modern translations don't do it for the reasons I just said, you know, I don't like cap- um, capitalizing pronouns. It's so like in, yeah. I mean, early on in my writing, I remember I would do it because that's what we were told to do or whatever. And then, yeah. um, cause it was so, you know, it's, it's safe, you know, if you don't do it, it's like, you're demeaning the name of Jesus. And then the ESV came out and they didn't do it. And then it's like, Oh, okay. You can be conservative yeah. and not capitalize pronouns. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's well, just it so clunky. Like, like it's, it's especially yeah. when you get like who or which, or actually it's more who and he, and it, it sometimes it's like, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a hassle, but you just, yeah, you're just, you're the thing, the thing that we were trying to do, which you, nobody does it perfectly is you're trying to not introduce extra yeah. interpretation into your translation. And that's where some of that kind of stuff was just introducing, well, do we think Yahweh is supposed to be here? Do we think this, you know, and so you end up just, you end up, I think, causing more problems in some sense. And maybe your average reader may not know it, but part of the, the job of translators is to, to do scholarship and translation well, you know. So, yeah, we got accused of, of you know, I've got a, a friend who calls it sentimental capitalization. You know, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not in the, in the Greek and Hebrew. It's not indicated by the text. It's just a sentimental thing that we perceive to be like, you know, I, I, I had somebody email me and say, I can't believe you butchered God's word by lowercasing all the pronouns. And I was like, well, you know, Paul didn't capitalize his pronouns, right? Like we actually <laughs> entered, we God's added this. Words. This is actually us adding, you know, it's not us taking away. So Yeah. You're like, you're, you're like we didn't leave it in, in the format that it was originally written with all caps, no spaces. And right. Yeah, yeah. Figure out. Would you like us to remove commas to, yeah. uh, as well? So, yeah. Wow. So, so, um, what other uh, and then, and then was it just a clean kind of update with other things? Can you give an example of of other things that went into the CSV? Yeah, I mean there was definitely um, you know tons of just verses that got smoothed out. A lot of it was like consistency between between Old and New Testament references, where there were cross references. Um, you know, some of the things that we tried to do, like one of the, one of the things that was a, an introduction that we did that we got a little bit of grief for, but not much was saying uh, brothers and sisters for Adelphoi instead of just brothers. So That's when Paul writes to, one. Yeah. Yeah. So when Paul writes to the Romans, you know, brothers and sisters. And so we did that pretty consistently where we felt like they were addressing, obviously addressing a crowd. And Adelphoi, it was funny because we had gotten a little bit of grief for that. Uh, but, you, I mean, you bring up ESV, and I, I love ESV and love the guys there. And I would always point out, well, ESV actually puts or brothers and sisters in the footnote. 
So yeah. we just we just switched, right? We we thought it should be in the main text, and then in the footnote we would say or brothers, because we thought actually that's that's what Paul was saying when he wrote Adelphoi was brothers and sisters. So it was kind of, one of those things where it was like you know we got called you know we got called like oh you're doing the gender neutral thing. I was like no actually we're very in line with the with you know the Colorado Springs statement for example, which talks about gender and other things in scripture. Like the, there's actually room to to do this in translation. You know we were just the first ones to really. Yeah. bite the bullet and do it. So that one. So, I mean, a translation is supposed to be render what the Greek says, but render what it is saying to its audience in a way that, well, yeah, well, let me, I, I've got different options in my head right now. Right. I mean, are yeah. you supposed to say, okay, this is what Paul said. He said, brothers back yeah. then they would have just took it for granted that kind of like, Mankind means all yeah, humans, exactly. you know. Yep. Uh, brothers means brothers and sisters. Um, uh, but that's not what Paul said. Like he he did say brothers. Um, and yeah. should we leave him in his own context and let the interpreter figure it out, or should we do a, do a little bit of interpretation here? Yeah. Or would you even classify it as? Because that's the, that's the, that's the line, right? Translation, interpretation. Yeah. You want to stay away from interpretation. That's the modern readers job but you do want to translate but this is a little fuzzy isn't it i mean yeah and i mean that's the thing i mean it's something i tell freshmen you know when we're talking about hermeneutics like you know first week it's like one of the things that you have to realize with translation is that all translation is at some level all translation is interpretation Hmm. um you try your best not to do it but it's the case i mean if you think about i always tell them like the most basic example you can think of if you were in english white house in spanish you would say casa blanca house white so in the most basic, you already realize there's a word order change, right? Yeah. I was like, imagine that times all the words of the Bible in an ancient <laughs> language. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just a totally, I mean, the, the problems just continue to extrapolate. And what you do when you do any translation, anybody who's done, uh, who's learned a second language, whatever, you also recognize that there are sometimes three or four English words that a Greek word could render. You know, you have options uh, yeah. of how you would translate a word. So it doesn't always have to be this one word. And so sometimes you, you know, when, it, when a modern translation will make a change from, say, the KJV or whatever, um, it's sort of like, well, hey, you changed the word. It's like, no, actually, we just used a modern English version of, a, right. of the same rendering, right? We don't say thou anymore, thou and thee anymore. Right, we, right. we say something different. So it, it's one of those things where you're, when you're doing translation, you are bringing over from another language and in some sense another culture and trying to figure out how do we – we would always say like, you know, you put your hand on the chair and the chair is the Greek word. And you have room to walk around that chair as long as you keep your hand on the chair, right? There's these options okay. you can do yeah. as long as um, – so an example for us, you know, something that we did different uh, as well was like um, Hilasterion in like Romans 325, propitiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set atoning sacrifice uh, in almost all oh. those cases. Uh, the reason why we did that was uh, – there's a couple of reasons. As a translation, we're saying what is faithful to the, to the Greek – which all translations are doing this. What is faithful to the Greek? And then what is something an English audience would understand? Yeah. And all translations have different ways that they weight those things. But all translations are trying to make – I mean, New American Standard is probably the most formal. They still want an English person to understand what they're saying, right? So we all care about that. Right. But for CSB, we said, okay, what if we find something that is a, a, lit, a formal rendering – Mm-hmm. But maybe isn't propitiation because nobody who doesn't have a biblical background, nobody knows what that means. They have to ask their pastor or something else, right? Your average person that's sitting on a couch reading their Bible uh-huh. and nobody's there to explain it to them. What is another option for Hilasterion that would get the same idea across that might be more understandable? Right. And so we went with atoning sacrifice, which, again, you got to do stuff with atoning. It's not like atoning. It's just a thing everybody knows. 
But you do recognize that atoning sacrifice has the idea of forgiveness, of sacrifice, of um, making payment or making something right, you know, atoning for your sins. People know basically what that means. And so we did that throughout and said, okay, that's at least a little bit more understandable, but we're not removing the theological weight of of what this is trying to get across, you know? So that's an example. Well, even that one, I mean, that still is within the semantic range of hilasterion, because that's what a propitiation kind of is. And atoning sacrifice, I I mean, I like that because it It avoids expiation a little bit too. Well, and there is a slight theological difference between expiation and propitiation. And so if Mm -hmm. you do even go with propitiation, you're still making an interpretive move that 99% of readers aren't going to notice. But I mean, you know, a few might check it out. Um, And there are some translations. I think the RSV goes with um, expiation. Expiation Mm -hmm. is like what wiping away of your sins and propitiation is like has a more penal substitution kind of flavor to it. Appeasing wrath. Yeah. Yeah, appeasing like wrath, where expiation yeah. doesn't include that. Yeah, um, but that's that's an interpretive decision. So that, yeah, yeah I, I I think atoning sacrifice is better there. So hilasterion, yeah, I mean hilasterion because it can contain both of those things. We thought right. atoning sacrifice actually gets at all that hilasterion is trying to say. You know? can, can so you, can not that propitiation is wrong, just yeah. you know. So I, I actually got this question uh, a few days ago from some of my Patreon supporters. Um, asking me about kind of how it's, it can be frustrating when, you know, when you hear preachers like correcting translations or saying, oh, this is a bad translation. I'm going to go with this one or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, who, who are these jokers translating if some pastor with a couple of years of Greek can just render it a bad translation? I'm like, were you part of the translation team? <laughs> or, um, I, can, can you give us a little, and, and I've done the same thing. I, I, I critique translations, um, cautiously i i know that the translator probably knows greek better than i do has probably spent more time on on wrestling with how to run this although sometimes i mean they're still human they have deadlines it's a big project i'm sure you know yeah um you know I, anyway yeah that's that's some people don't realize that they think they're these like you know you, you lock up these scholars in a room with a bunch of white coats and they're just back there you know like yeah, yeah. You know, for 10, or they 10. just all use, you know, Google Translate and then we just put it on a page, you know. So, <laughs> um, so can you give us a little insight of what, what does it take for one of these hundred scholars? Like what, what are they, what's the process in them yeah. translating the Bible? Yeah, I mean, so you, yeah, you, you, first of all, you want to have a group of people who are as good at the languages as humanly possible, right? So you want to have like scholars, particularly senior scholars. I mean, I was by far the junior scholar in the room and just try to stay out of the way, you know, 99.9% of the time. I just agree with Tom Schreiner. Worst case scenario was always my, <laughs> was always my bet, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you've got, if you're taking it just from the Greek and Hebrew, like the HCSB was, you're talking about, you know, laying out, you know, a Nestle Alange 28 or whatever, you know, that's like, here's, here's the, here's the Greek new Testament that we have. That's got the best mm-hmm. data from all the manuscripts we have and everything that we have. Let's, you know, you're starting to work from that and then you're saying, okay, yeah, how do I, how do I make an English sentence out of each one of these Greek sentences? And how do I do it in a way that is fair to the context of the book? Uh, the use, the, the way that that author uses that word, um, you know, what is the author trying to intend? You know, I think one of my favorite examples from Hebrew is like Amos 4, 6, where it says, uh, I will give you, some translations will say, I will give you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, clean teeth sounds awesome, like divine dentistry. You know, if anybody can do it, <laughs> uh, somebody like me with a jack, with a jacked up grill, you know, I'm hoping that Jesus, that God will fix that one day. Um, but actually, 
uh, what that means is uh, your teeth are clean because you've had nothing to eat. You've been starved because God is punishing them for their sins. Oh, wow. So for us, it's like, okay, a, a quote unquote formal literal translation of Hebrew would be cleanness of teeth. And, and, and a Hebrew person would understand that colloquialism like you and I would uh, understand, you know, English ones that we take for granted. Um, you know, uh, oh, that's really cool. Well, we mean, we don't mean that's really not warm, right? You know, yeah. um, so there's those kind of things. So then what we did was we said, uh, I give, uh, I will give you, uh, nothing to eat. Absolutely nothing to eat. Okay. So we, we, so again, you're taking, you're, you're having to go from Hebrew to English. That's not wrong, uh, that we translated it that way. Cleanness of teeth is quote unquote literal, but nobody would understand. I mean, it'd take you a lot of extra work to understand what that meant other than just saying, oh, what does that idiom mean? It just means yeah. you don't have anything to eat. So, is, so those is, are the kind of questions, you know, that, that the translators are working through is how do we, how do we try to be faithful to this, but also communicate it properly, you know, okay. to the audience. So then they, they turn in a translation and then you have, I'm sure the editorial process is grueling, right? I mean, it's yeah. not just, okay, oh, here it is. Great. Slap it in. Yeah. And there we go. I mean, so you have other scholars weighing in and, and maybe they haven't spent as much time, but, yep. um, and you know. you've got copy editors and you've got people going back to the translation committee saying, Hey, is this what you meant to say? Is that what you were saying there? Uh, so like with the CSB, I mean, that was just a revision, which is enough work as it is right. a pretty heavy revision, but a revision nonetheless, that was, that started in 2011 okay. and we finished in 2016 and we were supposed to finish in 2020, but the timeline got moved up. Wow. Um, you and beat so the timeline it, by 40 years, that's never well, yeah. been done. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's partially why we had a very small, uh, we didn't call it a revision. We called it a, um, a sheen a new sheen in 2020 because <laughs> there were a handful of things that we just got rushed on the, on the publication because some publishing stuff. Uh, and so like, that's the thing that thing where like, Oh, we had a lot of things left on the table. We probably could have spent more time with, but we shouldn't have time. So yeah, you're just living in all of that world. You've got, you've got the translation itself. You've got what, what is the, what are the goals of the translation? Are we trying, like, what, what do we care about in terms of the way that we render text versus formal and dynamic? What does the publisher want? When does the publisher want it out? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonstop. So. I don't understand how translations don't have typos. I'm always waiting to catch a typo because yeah. it published. Okay. So like the books that I write, at least, I mean, it goes through, I mean, I was, for me, I always let 10, 15 people read it in its most rough form. Um, you know, then I've got like a personal editor and then I've have uh, another editor with the publisher. And then there's two more editors that they send it to. And then it's like another read another, and there's still typos. Yeah. I got, right. I got a typo in one of my books and like this page one, I think I'm like, yeah, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. There isn't, I mean, so the, on the copy editing side and for our audit copy editing, it's kind of like the last like spelling, spacing, grammar, you know, that yeah. they're not looking for any kind of theolo It's not theologically, they're not theological editors that's already been done um yeah there must have been a ton of our translations they have to have a ton of they just keep going over and over and over until they yeah i mean we we had our first run of csbs there were like three or four just egregious typos really that, you know it's like how did we not see these In, there's a there's a famous story and i'm not going to say the number because it's like I think it's apocryphal at this point, but there's a story about how like the first edition of the NKJV had like hundreds and hundreds. Of, I mean, just oh. insane amount of typos. So it does happen. It's very difficult uh, to avoid it. Um, I don't know about some of the other translations. I know NKJV had that issue. And I know we had three or four, you know, that came up that were just like, I can't believe we missed that. You know? Oh, so do you do um, a small so. print run and then get feedback and let the audience catch the first wave, yeah. catch all the typos? Yep. And, and then, then you, you just run more. Yeah. Oh, okay. so you're not yeah, just so, like blast. Here's all here. You know, here's a, 
hundred thousand copies. That's going to last for five years. Like you, you do a small print run to yeah. for that reason. Yeah, like the the first run we came through. I mean, we even gave away you know two thousand copies at ETS in twenty sixteen. About uh, it was like nine months before it came out, six months before it came out, hmm. and we just were like, okay, let's just wait and see what happens. You know, and we start feedback starts coming in. You okay. know, um, and we still there were still a few things we we didn't catch, but within six months between other scholars, between us, between it just going out in the wild. Like we had a, we have a couple CSB Facebook fan, you know, Facebook groups that are like CSB fans that somebody started. We didn't start. And, you know, every once in a while, like I would come across one, some guy in there would be like, Hey, CSB people, you know, that we, I found this typo or this, this spacing issue. And we're like, Oh my gosh. Wow. So what you do, so all you do is you just, you print new ones. And so there's probably somewhere in a warehouse somewhere on people's shelves, you know, CSBs with a few errors in them or an ESV with a few errors in them. But you usually can get them caught fast enough to where, um, because you're using the same text, eventually yeah. you, you find most of them and you don't have to worry about it. So. What would you What would you say to the Christian who says, yeah, my, my, I feel like every other sermon, my pastor's like correcting a translation or doing this. Like, can we yeah. not trust? Like, how should they respond to that kind of, and, and nothing against that. Maybe the, I'm not saying the pastor's doing anything wrong necessarily, yeah. but like, um, yeah, how should we process that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a there's a tendency on my part to be uh, somewhat prideful and elitist about it, like kind of what you were saying earlier about like, do you think you know better than Tom Schreiner about how to tra- how to translate Greek or how to understand Paul? Um, there's a sense in which I think that's true, and I think you know even pastors who know their language as well should be careful. Uh, just it's a humility issue, right? Just to sort of, I think on, honestly, the bigger issue, and this is, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time at CSB just talking to pastors. I mean, I spent so much time talking to pastors and groups uh-huh. of pastors. And the one thing I would always caution is, okay, whether or not I'm personally offended that you think you know how to translate better than me or so, okay, whatever. Maybe you do. Maybe, you know, I'm infallible. I, I mean, I'm fallible, not infallible. But <laughs> um, but you're actually sowing, um, oh, my, my light just went out in my office here. It'll be great for YouTube. Yeah, there, you there go. we go. I got a nice, uh, nice thing going on here. Sorry about that. I have oh, a motion right. sensor in my office. That I remember that. Off I think you have my old office. Don't oh you? my gosh. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, um, yeah. So I, I always say, like the the danger, really, I think, is um, uh, causing your people to doubt their translations. Like you're introducing mistrust into the the Bibles that they have to take home, and they can't adjudicate the issues like you can, or, you know, or like a scholar can. So that's, that's my main bigger concern is you get out there and you say, well, you know, this Bible translation doesn't know what they're doing. And they're like, okay, well, where else do they not know what they're doing? And if I'm reading Mark chapter five at home, can I trust this translation? Can I, you know, can I trust the Bible I have? That concerns me a lot more. It is sort of the church issue. Um, you know, I can get over somebody not liking propitiation versus atoning sacrifice or whatever, you know? Um, and I think, and there are some things the CSB did that I lost votes on in the room, you know, so it's not perfect, but, um, there is a sense in which I think you want to be careful not to introduce distrust for your audience Mm -hmm. uh, and for, for your average lay person, because that's the only access they have is that English Bible they're holding. Um, so that's my bigger concern. Yeah. I I mean, if, if I'm just looked at one that I, I caught the other day in James, four six and the common translation including the csb is you know you do not ask because you ask with wrong motives and i was i was um i remember thinking like what does that mean you know I looked up in the greek and the, and there's the greek word is simply like wrongly the word mm-hmm. motives isn't really there um you ask because i always thought like what's the wrong motive like like it, I, I would always kind of like be all kind of discouraged and i worried that i have the wrong motives in a certain 
prayer, but the yeah, word yeah. that so that that would be an example of that's not and based on the context that is probably what wrongly or badly you ask badly or wrongly, but that is, you know that that is a little more general and vague that could be rendered various ways, yeah. Um, yeah. and so that that would be one where it's like you know if I was preaching and I really felt that motives isn't the the best way to render that. Um, I, you could say something like not this translation is wrong, but saying, you know, this is one possible way to render this word. I think, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. rendering it without the word motives fits the context here a little better or, or, you know, for various reasons, I think expiation is what's going on in Romans three 25. Um, this translation is one like, you know, kind of like giving and and maybe even coaching your people on translating is you you are making interpretive decisions that aren't right or wrong. It's, you know, um, it's within, it's within the purview of the meaning of the word or even brothers and sisters, you know, I kind of like based on some of the work that I've been doing the last few years, I, 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 I like brothers and sisters, um, because I know so many people that when they, 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 they have this, they wouldn't say it, but they had this idea that it's like a male audience. Like when in 1 Corinthians 16, when Paul says, act like men, Andronizomai or whatever, he didn't tell the women to leave the room when he said like he's commanding <laughs> yeah. women to, I think the sense of act like men is like to be strong, courageous, kind of this 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 stereotype about masculinity in the Roman world. But he's commanded yeah. the whole church that. And, and I think if – yeah, I think having brothers and sisters is a constant reminder that this is a mixed congregation, you know? Yeah, we say, we say, uh, you think about 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 13? Yeah, I'm going to look I think, that up. I, I think we if... say, I think we say, be courageous and be strong. Oh, not really? Like, not act like men, yeah. So there's a, there's a good example, yeah. Literally, you could say, act like men, but we say, be courageous. Be courageous, be strong. Yeah. Because I think, because kind of what you're saying, it's part of that idea of when he says act like men, is he saying um, act like biological men or is he saying be strong and courageous like the men are supposed to be in our culture or whatever, you know, and that could apply to women too. So that's yeah. a perfect example of like where as a translator, you're just trying to say, what's the best way to get this across? Act like men, considering right after that, verse 15 uh, he says, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, the household of such and such and such and such. And so we say brothers and sisters there. Okay. So did, yeah. Did he tell the women to leave the room? Was he just addressing just the men? Yeah. Uh, or is there something else going on here in the Greek in the context that, that says something, uh, you know, a little bit bigger. And again, you, you brought up mankind earlier. That's a great example for, for, for most of English speaking, we have understood that mankind means men and women, right. even though it's mankind. So it's one of those things where it's like, if Paul were to, let's just say Adolfoy was brothers for Paul, he's clearly addressing the brother, brothers and sisters. He's clearly addressing, and that's actually a perfectly good Greek rendering. It's not like we said, oh, we're 21st century people. We know better than Paul. Let's say brothers and sisters. It's like, no, actually Adolfoy can be translated that way properly. You know, so it's still a proper translation. Would it be similar to, um, like I've heard like in Spanish, if, if, uh, um, senorita, senorita, oh no, senorita. Senoritas and what's the term for a man? <laughs> a friend, a male friend, <laughs> senora, uh, hombre, amigo, amigo. Anyway, it, like if there's one man in the room, you used a masculine. The only time mm. you'd use a feminine is if there is, um, if there's not a man in the room. 
And I know we can, you know, a bunch of, you know, us yeah, yeah. white progressives will get all upset or whatever. It's like, well, let's not be colonial again. You know, let's let the culture be its culture. And, you know, um, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, like, yeah. like the Latinx debacle that you've probably been reading. Three <laughs> percent of Latinos know. And I like that phrase. But um, yeah. uh, but I, I wonder if it's similar, though, like in the, in the Greek, you would say brothers as long as there's one man in the room, that was a common way to address the room. Is that, do we know that? Or is that, um, it's like that in a lot of Latin languages, I think, I think French is the same thing. I think, I mean, the the hard part, obviously the hard part with Greek and with the first century is like, we all want to think that we can think like first century people, but none of us actually are. So you're all, some of it is always a little bit of guesswork, but I mean, you have, you know, a lot of years of the Greek language being used in which you can understand the various ways it's used in Greek culture, even outside of the Bible. Right. So mm-hmm. you can see Adelphoi being used to address brothers and sisters in all kinds of other contexts besides that. And again, I mean, it's just very clear uh, that Paul is addressing or whoever right. is addressing uh, men and women. I mean, it's just, it's obvious that they're in the room. It's obviously he's talking to them. Uh, First Corinthians is all about two men and women to these yeah. different groups of people about their unity, about them being together. Um, and so then all of a sudden to just say like, well, act like men just seems a little out of place. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's not what's happening. And it could be that literally that's what Paul says, but an English speaker might hear that and think, oh, he's not talking. He's just talking to the men. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. So that, um, that would a, be a good example. Yeah. That's a little more of a longer leash on how to render, render that phrase. Um, but it is getting to the heart of what the word means and how it would have been heard and received by that first century audience they they would have heard on or whatever it is like and and one way to render that i'm just thinking out loud here woodenly would be act like men but that like you said the 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 women in the room would not have thought okay i need to like transition into a biological man or something or like or they they that would be a very familiar concept (laughs) you know um uh, okay let's talk about other because you know no go ahead no go ahead I was going to say, it's interesting too, when you think about like, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't want to get too, uh, I'm not going to get hot takey here, but I'll just say <laughs> when you're doing translation, um, you know, oftentimes we, you know, when we do the brothers and sisters stuff, we're accused of, well, you're just being modernist. You're just being, you're just PC. bowing to the feminists or yeah. PC or whatever. Um, but you know, the truth is, is that all of us are culturally conditioned and all of us have different ways of thinking about how, you know, gender is a big issue right now. So obviously yeah. this is a question we're asking, we're reading the Bible of we're not trying to import 21st century uh, values into the first century because that, that would be anachronistic and that'd be a problem in and of itself. But you're still trying to say this is an English, modern English audience who is understanding these words a certain way. And like, like I said, I mean, it's, we, you might make a big deal about Adelphoi being brothers and sisters, but it's really not that much different, at least for us at CSB. It was not that much different than you know, not saying thee, thou, and thy in the right. King James anymore. It's just that that language develops and people understand language in a certain way. And um, so you want to say it to them in the way that you think that the Greek readers would have heard it and also how the English people are going to understand it, which means you've got options, you know, for how to do that. Um, and so that's where, that's where you just have to, I mean, that, that's where translation again is treachery. As Schreiner says, you're always trying to figure out how to, how to make those decisions. But uh, you know, it's funny cause you know, everybody on the CSB uh, team are complementarians. So the sort of like you're bowing, oh, you're bowing, yeah, you're bow. So you know you're bowing to the 
the, the thing is, is that we're all complementarians who are, who are trying to actually just do biblical translation. We're not trying to do a complementarian translation. Right. right. So it's one of those things where like, we get, get, get accused of, you know, well, you guys were bowing to the feminists. I'm like, you realize that Tom Schreiner like wrote a book on first Timothy two. That's a complementarian position. Right. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, no, it's actually that we were trying our best to be to let the church translate and yeah. understand these big issues. So we're not trying to introduce more interpretation. We're letting the churches do that. So I want a, I, it's a long-winded way to say, like, I want a complementarian Southern Baptist church and an egalitarian Methodist church to be able to use the CSB right. and preach those passages the way that they think they should be translated and do our best to just try to, to do what we think the Greek is saying and what it's trying to get across. This Tom Schreiner, so, so he's he's all for brothers and sisters for Adelphi? Yeah, he was very yeah very positive okay, about good. it. Yeah. I'm having so, him on the podcast. I, I might have already published it, uh, but he's on yeah. physically on next week to... I just realized that most, whenever I talk about the women question, almost all my guests, I think all my guests have been egalitarian. <laughs> so, which is well, terrible. That's not my style to have one view always represented or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm having Tom yeah, on. Down to, with the patriarchy, Preston. Down I know, I know. I'm having Tom on to bring us all back to the complementarian dark side. <laughs> He's like the um, kindest complementarian ever, though. So, well, I've, my. <laughs> All my egalitarians, my egalitarian scholar friends often say he's my he's our favorite complementarian because he's reasonable. Yeah. I asked him and once. Bert. I said, Tom, what's what's the um, the biggest challenge to your position? And he immediately said it. Like he was like, you know, some people are like, well, there is none. The Bible just. I'm like, I know, I know, that's the view you hold, but if you can't admit that there aren't some arguments on their side that are more powerful than others, and it just makes me not want to trust you. And he immediately said. Yeah. Yeah, you got female prophets running around the New Testament. It's up to me <laughs> to show that that's not a local church authoritative teaching position, right, which right. is I I can do it, but it's 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 that's a challenge. It's on me. I got to handle that, you know. So yeah, well, yeah, it's it's yeah. Shriner is every egalitarian's favorite complementarian, and Bird is most complementarian's favorite egalitarian <laughs> because both of them are trying to be you know open minded, genuine with the text. Yeah, uh, and whether you like it or not, that's a different conversation. So when well, Bird had, you know, he was a staunch complementarian back in the day, like militant, and uh, and he has a very kind of a nuanced, careful egalitarian view. His book, I th- his short little book. I think is the best. I haven't read a lot on this subject, but in terms of just a, a short, accessible, honest book that really captures a lot of stuff going on is his, uh, I think it's an ebook. Um, yeah, bossy it's called like Wives. Bossy Wives, something or another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bossy Wives, bourgeois Bob babes. Hair, and Bourgeois Babes. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, yeah. It's Which so is good. about as bird as you can get. So. It is very anyway, birdish. I, I, did, I detracted you from where you were going, but... Yeah. No. So yeah. Other translations. When people ask you, "Hey, Brandon, can you recommend the translation?" What do you say? CSB. <laughs> um, no. I mean, I, I always tell people. Even when I was at CSB, I mean, one of the things that I would just harp on our team about was, we think the CSB is a good translation. We have reasons to think the CSB is a good translation, but not every church is going to think CSB is a good translation. So when I would talk to pastors, you know, I get I still get emails almost weekly, if not every other day um, from pastors or, or direct messages or whatever on Twitter saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about the CSB. Can you tell me about it? And my and our default was always and my default still is um, here's why I think the CSB is helpful. But if that's not good for your church or if you don't like the certain ways that we want to do stuff like there are a ton of good translations out there. I mean. New American Standard, ESV, NIV, CSB, NLT. I mean, they're all really good translations with really legitimate scholars who have done really good work. And uh, some of it is just about like, what do you prefer? You know, Um, one of the reasons why CSB has been so well received, a couple of reasons. The primary one is a lot of guys 
uh, a lot of pastors uh, and churches really like, um, they like a more formal translation, but they feel like, you know, people in the pew don't understand them as well. So like, well, the CSB gives me the formal, but it's a little more understandable. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are like, we miss NIV 84, and this is the closest thing to NIV 84. I've heard that one a lot, which I didn't expect, but it makes sense. Um, you know, so it's just like, okay, what are you looking for? Huh. If you have that pain point of, hey, I want something a little bit more readable, but I don't want to go NLT. I feel like that's too dynamic. Yeah. Then the CSB is a good one for you. But if you want something a little more poetic, a little bit more formal, uh, you know, an ESV is a great option for that, right? So yeah. for me, it's like we have a lot of good <laughs> options, and it's just about which option serves your church and ministry the best. So I always try to come back to that. It, yeah, it depends on, yeah, what you're looking for. Even for an individual, it's one thing for like a church. That is tough because you have new converts, you have old converts, you have mm -hmm. old people, young people, and there's such a – it'd be hard to have like – I mean, you do. The, the main pastors are typically going to use a certain translation. You got, you know, Bibles in the pews that are certain translations. So you, most churches, I, it's hard to get away with. You're going to have kind of one translation. I feel like, and I'm again, I'm not just. I I think the CSB. The, I I grew up with the the NASB, the New American Standard, and I actually liked because I was so into like slow, deep study of the text. I loved that as I was learning Greek. And I was, in, you know, used to my NASB. I, I feel like after a while, I can kind of guess what the Greek is because it is so woodenly word for word. Which now that that's a misnomer, though. You can't, <laughs> you can never render one language into another word for word. You just don't. You can't. You cannot yep. do it. I mean, if I said in French, uh, I'm going to butcher my pronunciation here, but Jean Clou. Mm -hmm. means I'm hungry, but literally it means like I have a cavern, like a big hole in my stomach, you know? <laughs> right. um, and there's yeah. French has a lot of stuff like that. Every language does, you know? And so word for word is like, you would translate that. I have a cavern. It wouldn't make any sense. So yeah. word for word isn't always the most accurate. That's, that's where people, yep. it took me years to figure that out. Cause I was like, I, I, I kept saying the new American standards is the most accurate and, and it's actually, that's in question. I think you can easily say it's probably the most word for word, yep, literal, woodenly literal. Like he even said word order and stuff. Um, so I, I still appreciate. Like if I was gonna, if if somebody said what translation, I'd like. Well, if you're doing a a five week study on Romans one or something, or Roman, you know, like if you're doing an in depth study, you don't know the languages, and you want one that's gonna just give you kind of the meaning of the word. The Nazi might be a good word for word. A yep. translation to work with. If you're re if you say you want to sit down and read the book of Samuel, then I would say do something more dynamic, like an NLT or something. Uh, if you just want to get the flow of the story, I mean, you, you try to read the Old Testament stories in the NASB. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's painful. Try the, the, have you ever tried the Young's Literal Translation? That one's my favorite. Really, that one makes that one makes the NASB look like the Message. It's oh my just, word! Uh, it's, a, it's a whole nother it's a whole nother level. So wow. But yeah, I think there's some truth to that. You know, I, I always tell pastors too, like use multiple translations when you're prepping. Sure. And choose one that you want to preach from. Like a lot of people would say, oh, I might like, you know, more, more formal, a little bit better, but the CSB preaches so much better. So like, that's what I'm yeah. going to be using. Cause I, that's what I want my people to buy and I want them to use. So yeah, it's a lot of it is, it's just, what do you value and what are you looking for in the yeah. translation that you have more than better or worse, accurate or inaccurate? Like you're right. Like sometimes the most formal is not the most accurate. If by accurate, you mean, what does it mean in English and how do people understand it? Yeah. You know, there's, there's times yeah. where that's not the case. And so, um, I would always just, that's why I'm always like kind of trying to avoid like value judgments, like good, bad, whatever. It's like, no, actually they're all actually pretty good. They just have, there's different, you know, somehow strengths and weaknesses and they serve different purposes in some right. ways. So, 
It'd be easy to go with like the NIV as like a church Bible. The only problem there, though, because it is more on the dynamic side, I feel like if you're preaching expository um, and you're going slowly through the text, you you I it's 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 inevitable. You you will find yourself if you know Greek correcting or at least saying, well, and here's a more literal way of what this verse is saying. And and this is where I really do love the CSB because it, it captures that balance of it's very readable, but but it is so close to the the I don't know, it's that perfect balance between being dan- dynamic and equivalent. Um and so I think it'd make a great church Bible along with a great personal Bible. And no, I'm not getting paid to say that. <laughs> um you're not here's okay, let me ask you this. This is gonna get maybe a little controversial. Um I used to use the ESV. You said so. I didn't even realize that the translators of the CSB or HCSB were complementarian from seven, but from seventeen different denominations. That's pretty. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Well, we actually wanted you to not notice that. That was part of the. Part well, that's of the it. Point, so you know? well, I, I, the ESV. I just I, I felt like they in several places that are these hot button passages when it comes to gender and women and ministry and stuff. I just felt like they're showing their hand a little bit. I don't know if I have any examples in front of me. I remember reading, um, um, well, First Corinthians eleven and First Timothy three. Oh, the one I think it was the deacons one. Oh yeah, First Timothy three. First Timothy yeah. three eleven. Let me see if I have. Yeah, we had we had a we had a huge conversation about that one in the CSB room actually, um, because you can trade you can you can translate uh, there in First Timothy three eight. Uh, yeah. Uh, not eight, sorry. Yeah. 11. You could say wives or you could say women. And those are two very different, uh, translations, right? Cause wives indicates that deacons can only be men particularly, uh, p- uh, potentially does. Oh, you guys uh, say whereas wives too. See, I don't we like do, that. We, but we had a, I will say we had a, um, we had a long conversation about that one. Uh, that was a, uh, that was a, we were somewhat split on that one. We didn't, we didn't make the change primarily because we didn't feel comfortable making the change with as much split in the room. Okay. But I was, I was in favor of women there. Um, because I think it, one, I think it, the word gets that point across actually more clearly and yeah. doesn't introduce the wives thing, but wives is a translation. That's a fair translation. But again, sure. it's like how much, how much baggage are you bringing with it? How much interpretation are you in- introducing when you say wives, you know, cause then you could just be saying deacons are only men. Uh, or that's at least what you could, you could, um, be indicating. Right. Yeah. Which with, you know, with elders, you know, it does that as well. Right. Husband of one wife, you know, so that's the hard part is you're, you're sitting there in that context trying to figure out what do we do with these different words and which one means what, and which one indicates what. And, um, yeah, so wives there, we kept wives, but that was a, that was a pretty big conversation. And we have a footnote, uh, in there that says, or women. Oh yeah. Yeah. uh, So does the, and the ESV does too. Actually, so the HCSB does say wives as well. So just for the audience, like the Greek word gune, it can mean woman or in certain contexts can be wives. Now here in mm-hmm. First Timothy uh, three one two seven, you're giving instructions for um, for aspiring overseers, elders, pastors, whatever. Oh, well, let's just say overseer. Then in verse eight, he gives instructions to deacons. Here, okay, now not elders, but deacons. Blah, 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 blah. And then verse eleven says gune, women or wives, and if mm-hmm. it says women then it could imply that these are female deacons, which from a complementarian reading is fine because deacons are not like a authoritative, like yeah, teaching yeah. position. So I, this is where even when I was hardcore complementarian, I was like, it doesn't really make sense to give 
instructions to the wives of deacons and not wives of elders. Like why, why? Yeah. It just seems odd. It seems like women deacons is a better reading, but, um, yeah. Well, but like that, so like that word, uh, you know, uh, gune or gunekos in that particular passage, like that exact word gunekos is used in like Matthew 19 for not divorcing your wives. Sure. Right? So it, there are times yeah. where it like it is wives and you can't say don't divorce your women, you know? So that's, right. that's again, and I, and I agree with you on this. I'm saying that's where, that's where the translation issue, but then other places, you know, in acts, uh, acts 22, it's used. And it just says, you know, both men and women are thrown into prisons, not both men and wives are thrown into prisons, right? right? So context and the problem with First Timothy 3 is that the context is, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to decide which one you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to some that make it a little bit easier. If Ephesians 5, love your gunekas, love your yeah. wives. Sure. You can say love your women, I guess, but obviously it's talking about the ones you're married to. Sure. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah from, so a, think, from a word, I mean, the word can mean either one. Like that's, yep. yeah. It and really, Paul tends to, this is one of those things too, where Paul uh, oftentimes uses that word in a marriage context. Like he does it in Felici uh, Ephesians, he does it in Colossians, mm -hmm. um, it does it in other places in First Corinthians. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, does Paul, that's another question you're always asking in translation, is Paul using this word consistently? Yeah. Uh, if he uses it in this context very clearly in other ways, is he using it here in the same way, because he tends to use that word to mean that the only, actually the only issue where that comes up is in Ephesians two and three, which is obvious. Uh, I'm sorry. First Timothy two and three, which is obviously the most contentious right, right. Uh, passages, you know, where otherwise it's all it's wives very obviously in every other way that Paul uses it. So that's another question is, okay, Paul uses this word. Anytime he uses gunekos, it's always with wives. And then first Timothy two and three seems like, okay, it might be wives or it might be women. Because yeah. it's, a, it's not quite as clear. So that's another concern is, okay, is Paul now using the word differently in this context when he hasn't used it in other places? Which is dangerous. Those word studies can be dangerous, but it's a consideration. Sure. So First Corinthians 11 is another big one. Is he talking about all women, like, and the man is ahead of the woman, or is it kind of the husband's mm -hmm. ahead of the wife? And I mean, that context yeah. is really, that whole chapter is really tricky. I'm just looking at it now. Um there's there's bad Trinity stuff that comes out of that too. I mean, it's yeah, that yeah. passage causes a lot of problems. So, yeah, yeah. So going, so I I have I felt that in some of these contentious issues, it, I I felt that the ESV did always kind of translate it in a way that did support a more complementarian reading. Maybe not support, but at least maybe resonate with it. And that's again, even when I was like hardcore, I'm I'm undecided on this issue, but when I was staunchly complimentarian even then i was like come on man just tell me what the text says and let me do the work it just it makes me yeah, yeah. suspicious if i feel like if i if i'm guessing every time like oh this this translator is probably a complimentarian like that's not a good response yeah yeah is that a critique no, that the yeah, esv yeah. gets i mean I've, I've heard other people say that is that is that fair am i being too yeah i mean I humble it's definitely it's definitely a critique they get um i mean i think it's um, we got some of the same ones, you know, in the sense that like, okay, we know who's made, who your, you know, translation committee is made up of, but I mean, yeah, like that, that that's human fallibility. Right. That's human. I mean, there are certain ways that you read scripture and you say, okay, if I think this is what scripture teaches, then when I'm in this passage, that's a little bit, um, unsure, I'm going to lean toward what I think the scope of scripture teaches if it feels like it's going to be contradictory or something. Okay. Um, you know, they got, they got a lot, for example, uh, ESV got a lot for Genesis three sixteen, uh, the curse of Eve, where it says, um, you know, your desire will be for your husband. And they said, uh, your desire will be contrary to your husband's. <laughs> and they got a lot of grief for that. Uh, 
But that's an example where what, what we tried to do again, and this is not uh, you know saying they're a bad translation. ESV is great in, in so many ways. But what we try to do as best as we could in most of those situations, say let's let the church, yeah. let's let the church work that out. Let's not inc- let's not add things if we if we don't have to. So First Timothy three with the wives, I mean, for us was he uses when Paul uses that particular word and that particular form, everywhere else he means wives. So okay. that was kind of the, the deal breaker. Uh, but uh, but my argument, uh, to be frank, was actually if you put women in there, you let the, you can actually it's easier for the church to decide. So that's why we footnote so that at least the pastor can see that footnote and see that there's another option. That's so where I'm I, to be yeah, honest, you know, that, that's where I feel clear. like wives is making a more interpretive decision, whereas or no, sorry, yeah, wives yeah. is making more of a decision, whereas women opens it up to let it's more neutral. I feel like because it, it very well still yeah. could mean wife. I mean, um, but wait, I'm, I'm looking at the ESV yeah. on three sixteen. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That is not what the Hebrew says, does it? My Hebrew is pretty rusty, but contrary to? Is that a possible way to render? I mean, I have my Hebrew in front. I probably couldn't read it. If I yeah, it, it's, it, is a po- it is a possible. It's just a matter of if you want to go with it. I mean, okay. so we chose not to uh, because we thought, it was, we thought it was adding too much. But I mean, like I said, like uh, there are times where we probably let our interpretation influence us more than we meant yeah. to. But we haven't we we got we got accused primarily of false motives like oh you guys were giving into the feminists when you say brothers and sisters and it's like that's definitely that's not, not what's going on in the room. You know? is, is there so, a place you know, like so I, I, I always don't want to be I don't actually say the I phrase say, I always I always want to be fair to like other translations because I'm like I get how hard yeah. it is. That's good. Fair, that's so. that's that's really good. I really very much respect that. I think yeah, when you work in translation, that's how, how you should be. Um, uh, oh, what was I just gonna say? Is there a place? So, like, I don't use mankind anymore. Um, I use humankind, uh, and I do think their English, American English, ha- is steeped in kind of a male centeredness that, in our culture today, I mean, is his is moving away from, and I think that's in most cases a good move. Um, and so, yeah, I. I I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't take a bullet for it, whatever, but like, why not just say humankind instead of mankind, you know? Um, yeah. Even though mankind mean, means the same thing, but if you're trying to communicate to the world at large, some, many might kind of like, oh, it just feels like, reminds yeah. me of Leave it to Beaver, you know, and the kind of culture. Um, so I don't know. I Even if, so I, again, I hear you saying, you know, obviously that, that you're trying to render Paul according to Paul, not trying to be PC, but I mean, I think there could be as we render it in the target language and target culture, we still should be sensitive to some of the yep. changes happening in that culture. That's just, that that's just true of language changes, man. Like, and, and yep. there could be an Orwellian maybe going too far and, and you know, um, but dictionary doesn't solely determine usage. I mean, usage determine, determines meaning, right. In part. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. I mean, um, it, it, you you're always a product of your culture. You're always a little concerned about that, right? I mean, for us, brothers and sisters was was really not that issue. Um, I'd say like for us, like slave uh, for doulos, we yeah, would say slave you... a lot. Like I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave. Um, what what? So there's the translation issues I brought up, which is that sometimes servant yeah. and slave can be interchangeable with two different Greek words. Sometimes they're in the same verse, and you got to be really careful how you do that. And then you start extrapolating and going, okay, now I want to be consistent across the whole Testament. And that can, that can just cause more problems, you know, but also like, I mean, it's, we shouldn't feel bad for saying that in a first century, a 21st century American context, the word slave means something very particular. 
And Paul is not saying I am a uh, lesser raced person who has been bought and sold and used by God, right? That's right. not what he's saying when he says. He's not talking about chattel slavery in right, right, yeah. So like, so we might hear slave and think automatically that. Now CSB uh, still uses slave in some instances, um, but it's like, I mean, that's a that's a legitimate conversation that you have to have. Is okay, uh, a first century reader is immediately immediately going to hear Paul say, "I'm a slave of Christ." Well, what is that bringing to mind to a 21st century American? Yeah, you know, or 21st century yeah. English speaker in general, for that matter. And so, like, you know, I think I think we'd admitted at some point, you know, like, hey, that was a consideration, and we got like, well, you know, you shouldn't be PC. Well, it's not being PC. It's actually primarily we think the language actually demands that we be more careful with it. But also, yeah. we do care about people reading it and them understanding it properly. You know, That's so to me, it's like it's not that much. Again, it's not that much different to me. And maybe I'm just uh, Pollyannish about this, but like. It's not that much different to me than saying, uh, instead of saying cleanness of teeth, saying you were starved. Hmm. Because we're, we're trying to make sure that an English audience understands what is being said and what is meant. And we want to use the possible renderings we can to do that best. Yeah. And so some issues are more hot button than others, obviously. I mean, slavery versus, you know, divine dentistry are not the same uh, level of concern. But there's that still that same like, okay, what is this communicating to, to our audience today? And is this faithful to the language while communicating properly in English? And if you do mission work, and you go over to another country and you just decide, I'm just going to figure out what in this African language means this. And it's an American colloquialism that nobody's ever heard before. It's not going to translate to people you're trying to preach the gospel to in Africa. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. we all know, we all know that it's just that some of the theological political problems uh, can be lumped onto translators and say, well, you're just trying to yeah. X, Y, Z. And that might be the case sometimes, but it's not always the case. Slave is that, that, that one's really difficult. How do you, cause servant sometimes can be too weak. And doesn't it is slavery? It is. Yeah, you're a human. Like bond, like bond servants, pretty close to slave, right? You know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And and you're considered someone's property, which overlaps with modern antebellum yeah. racial racially based slavery. But it wasn't ra- right. It was slavery in the first century. It's not based on race. It was based on yeah. class and status and lack of citizenship and hardship and and other things. But it wasn't a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah, racism might might have. Pl- well, I don't. I don't even know if it would have been wrapped up. There was definitely yeah, racism but, or ethnocentrism was everywhere, obviously, but I don't know if yeah, yeah. that was really intertwined with slavery back then. But I'm I'm getting over my skis. I don't I don't know. Yeah. But how, how do you render a word <laughs> that in the modern context is intrinsically intertwined with race and racism? Yeah. So um, so we we still use slave in places where we think it's appropriate. Sure. It's just again, you're just being careful with with when you use it and how you use it, and that's just something I think that is. I think that's like I mean, if you if you think of Bible translation as like what we're really doing is doing mission work in the sense that we're like trying to get the yeah. gospel to people. We want to do that in a way that the the receiving audience hears the gospel without in any way, you know, obviously doing violence to the gospel or to right. the Bible. Okay. Uh, so good translators are asking all those questions, I think. But Hey man, I've taken you over an hour. This has been a great conversation and uh, thanks for coming on Theology and Raw again. I think this is your second or third time, right? Yes, yeah, so I think second. Yeah, oh, I mean, we, we talked so long that my my motion sensor got tired of waiting on me. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. So good to talk to you, man. Yeah, where can people uh, find your stuff? Uh, do you have a website? Uh, or? Yeah, I mean, uh, Church Grammar is my podcast. That's probably uh, easiest one for podcast listeners to go to Church Grammar. Uh, I do stuff with the Center for Baptist Renewal, teaching okay. at Cedarville University. So uh, come take classes with me if you want. Listen to my cool. podcast, but listen to Preston first. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, oh, I was gonna say one more thing. Shoot. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Go buy a CSP and check it out. <laughs> How's that? How's that there for a plug? <laughs> Actually, if you're coming. Okay. So uh, I want to give away too many uh, secrets here, but the CSB has made a very generous 
gift to all attendees of the Theology Nara Conference in um, March 31st to April 2nd. I was blown away with how generous you guys were. Uh, I don't know if you know what they gave, but they gave pretty high. I was, was going to say, uh, this is so well coordinated that I have no clue what you're talking you about. No, so. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, Chris, my wife, showed me the gift bag we're putting together for attendees. And I'm like, jeez, this thing's a lot in here. Anyway. Yeah. All right, dude. The generosity. That's our thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah.